Are your customer acquisition costs too high? Lifetime values too low? Are you uncertain if your communication strategies are helping or hurting the efficiency and effectiveness of your marketing efforts? Welcome to the Continuous Revenue Marketing Podcast, where the most influential marketers in the world are sharing their insights and lessons on the critical topics they and their chief executives must just, must address daily. Pardon me. How to drive consistent business growth by delivering more revenue through profitable acquisition and customer lifetime value maximization strategies. What you're going to hear today by listening to this podcast are the actual strategies and tactics our marketing experts are using to achieve these critical messages. I'm Russell Kern, and I'm founder of Kern, an Omnicom agency. I'm joined by my co-host and producer, Elliot Dennis. And today, our special guest is Jess Newman. And I'm so delighted, Jess, to be with you as we had. Jess and I have known each other for it's almost dozens, <laughs> dozens, we'll just say <laughs> dozens of years. That uh, started way back in a company, but maybe not even know, like Nextel Partners. So Jess, given that we've known each other for so long, and besides the honor of having to, your time today, I think our audience would like to just like hear your a short summary of your journey to becoming a chief revenue officer. What was that path and how did you get there? And I think obviously what, what was your driving emotions that led you on that path? Yeah, for sure. So really good to see you, Russell. And I've been really fortunate. My career has um, spanned a whole lot of different experiences. So where we first met with Nextel Partners, really in startup, kind of pre-IPO, um, did that both with Nextel Partners and with Clearwire. My roles in those organizations were a little bit different and kind of expanded over time. And we can talk a little bit about that and the, the perspective that it gave me. I then moved from those startups and through IPO and then to larger Fortune 100 company uh, with DirecTV, then worked with ADT and more recently for some PE-backed companies. My career's really been spent in recurring revenue, mostly consumer services businesses. A lot of them have had a B2B component of it as well, but really focusing on um, driving revenue and doing it efficiently through those organizations. And I think I have been uh, extremely fortunate in the different roles that I've had where I've not only had direct responsibility for marketing, but I've also had direct responsibility for sales, for customer care, for contact centers, for um, making sure that different programs and life cycle programs are implemented and executed the way that they should. And even uh, even had reverse and forward logistics as as part of my responsibilities <laughs> at some point in time. So, you know, as you were talking about at the beginning in the intro, looking at driving value for an organization, not only through acquiring new customers, but ensuring that revenue is retained from those customers and continue to grow over time has yes. really been a cornerstone of my career and what I love doing. Yeah, and I think I think what's so important is we all know it's it's the lifetime value that makes the profit for the company, and the fact that we're now speaking with someone who was an expert of that retention value optimization aspect of marketing, I think is an honor for our, our audience. So I'm going to ask you to kind of reflect back over that journey. I there's a lot of successes, but I know there were probably some important and unexpected lessons 
um, both to the good and to the bad that impacted you as a leader and your approach. Could you share one or two of those sort of unexpected moments that changed who you were or how you approached a situation? Yeah, certainly. I think, um, you know, one of them actually, if I think back to our early times working together, I think we had a new leader who came in and was um, very focused on different creative for our direct response pieces and, you know, making sure, and you guys did a fantastic job of coming up with some very pretty, very kind of compelling creative that just did not resonate with the the prospect base and didn't result in the yield and sales volume that we had expected and that we were getting with kind of our number 10 envelope at the time, right? <laughs> oh, oh yes. This is this is the story of my uh, this is the story of my life. Even though this is about your interview, I can't tell you how many times a chief marketing officer comes and says, can't you make the direct response pretty like our brand? Yes, I can, but yes. guess what? It's just not going to work because some direct response, it's not about, it just needs to make sense. It doesn't need to be pretty. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that really resonates for me. No, I, I, well, I know. And, you know, I've lived it multiple times in my career, but, you know, at the end of the day, the discipline, I think, in direct response marketing and uh, the data-driven approach to how you acquire customers and how you measure the success of that acquisition is so, so important. And, you know, I think it's one of the things that um, because I was so fortunate in my career to early on own both sides, the demand generation and the sales component of it and have responsibility for that those customer contacts and understand costs to serve through that. I always came in with the expectation that we were going to be looking at and optimizing along all of those points. And at several times in my career, it's been a little bit um, of a a shift for me as marketing and sales, you know, uh, operating more independently, uh, and that that focus of optimizing both sides. You can't just drive lead volume and you can't just drive revenue per sale because you're not going to be able to maximize the yield. And a lot of my career has been building out the transparency between what happens um, with marketing spend and marketing channels and how that shows up for the sales team and ultimately what that yields for lifetime value for an organization. And so, that is so powerful to be able to optimize along the, along that spectrum. So Jess, I think this is such an important topic. I'm gonna ask you to just go one step deeper because you, what types of data or what types of dashboard or what types of reports allowed you to communicate that to the executive leadership team that allowed them to see both sides. I mean, you've been, you're, have been in the trenches, you fired the guns, you did this work, help the audience understand, hey, these are the tools that I used. And this is what I tried to get from my data department that allowed you to do that communication um, that created optimization and value, value maximization. Yeah. Um- 
And Russell, you know, from working with me even way back when, right? You can't let the perfect get in the way of the good. Yes. So yes, use what you have, uh, yes, whatever it is. It's a, it is a starting point, right? right? And from that point, you can enhance. So, I mean, early on, just looking at what type of response are you getting to the lead? And then how do you want to measure a lead? Because just because a customer responds to some um, marketing material that we put out there doesn't mean that they are even capable of becoming a customer. There could be credit requirements. There could be geographical components. God knows we've worked through all of those. So how do you then capture that data so you can feed it back and make sure that you're spending dollars where you can get a customer who is going to be able to come onto the platform and generate revenue. And then you have the sales process component of that, right? And are the reps doing what they should? Are they capturing the information? Are they positioning uh, the product and the sales and the payment methods even the way that they should? And then once you actually have that booked as a sale, you actually get to the point where you realize revenue for it. A lot of my experience has been in these consumer services businesses where you may book the sale, but you don't actually realize revenue until that service is performed. Right. And being able to measure that and, and figure out how do you gain additional efficiencies by reducing the breakage in there is really important. And then you have the, the cost to serve piece. So what are the interactions that the customer's are having with your customer care, with your service technician? How do you eliminate the waste that happens in there? And most importantly, because a lot of companies tend to look at it in eliminating the waste and the contacts that are unnecessary for the company. Yeah. <laughs> but really, how do you reduce the customer friction? Because no customer wakes up in the morning typically and says, you know, I want to call hey, customer care or I want to interact with my service technician, right? They, they want something that is frictionless. Yep. And how do you approach that? So understanding what you have currently available in your data set and then determining where you may need to enhance. But That's there's no point. need to wait. <laughs> Companies so are collecting that, that information now. So the, just those set of questions are were so powerful. I appreciate you sharing that and, and, and pulling that up. Um, as we narrow the focus a little bit, in our next topic, we'll move about culture and, and team performance. Has there been some dramatic shifts you've seen in the last two to three years um, that have changed you as a leader, whether it's the people and their work style, whether it's the consumer and their approach? Obviously, clearly, we're coming through this COVID period. How has that impacted the businesses you've been working with? whether it's been from the business side and the individuals or the consumer side? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's twofold, right? I mean, with COVID, <laughs> there was not the interaction that people were used to having. And even in geographically distributed businesses, those employees are very used to coming together at certain times, whether that's in a branch facility or whether that is in a broader company meeting once a year, that that wasn't happening. And there are still companies who were onboarding a lot of employees in that time period. And it's very difficult to kind of build that culture if a lot of it is just happening in this Zoom. So I think coming out of the pandemic, 
one of the things that um, I have tried to do, my teams have tried to do is to come up with that hybrid approach. I think there were a lot of organizations that were very creative in the COVID time and figuring out whether it's through um, messaging, whether it's through team kind of happy hour events or, you know, different sort of spirit days where people can <laughs> show your dog day, right? I mean, people can start to show more of themselves um, to the organization and connect a little bit differently besides, you know, what's the meeting today. I think those can continue and need to be augmented in more of a hybrid approach with yeah. some of the, the face-to-face meetings and interactions. So I'm, I'm hearing the same thing. I heard it just yesterday with a large uh, organization, the need for connectivity and hybrid. I heard it within the, our own Omnicom environment um, and primarily within, you know, the OPMG group and the current group that hybrid is really serving the need of the employee as well as the need of the culture of human beings connective a uh, connection connecting so if we get both of that we get the best of both worlds so i want to stay on this culture concept for just a touch longer which is um the famous quote from peter drucker that culture eats strategy for breakfast so my question to you is when you're looking at your team how do you balance your investments and in skill development sales skill versus cultural development where where are you with that now or how and how have you been managing that balance skills yeah. versus culture and connectivity for high performance yeah and you need both right i mean you need to have people who have the skill but to execute the strategy but the reality is people <laughs> are who is going to be executing the strategy and if you don't figure a way to make sure that those people are in it and excited about it and are going to drive that strategy, then it's never going to work. And I kind of think about it in a couple of different ways. So I think about it on the engagement side. You have to be able to communicate with your people and it's not a one size fits all approach. Um, Some people are fine with getting an email. Some people need a chat. Some people need a face-to-face video conversation. Some people need all of the above and most of them need it multiple times. So (laughs) figuring that out and what that is for each individual is really, really important. Um, I think the other aspect of it is enabling people. And that means from a technology perspective, you know, I was listening to um, an article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, I think Howard Schultz was talking about how much complexity there now is for baristas to be able to have all of these customized options for the customers. And I think that is one thing that companies get wrong a lot is in customizing and making sure that they've got personalization for customers, they forget about the employee that has to execute on that and how difficult they are making it for them. So the enablement component of that is super, super important. And then I think empowering people, especially where you have people who are in direct contact with the customer every day, making sure that they have the means to deliver on the brand promise is really important. And that's where I often see a disconnect is where you've got this brand promise and the front line is like, "Mm, 
not really sure that we're going to be able to execute that. And how do you bridge that gap for them so that execution is is not um, a concern? And 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 it's so interesting as we as marketers know that branding happens at the point of interaction with the customer. That's the true branding. You know, that's not the advertising. It's not the campaign. It's the people talking to people. Moments of truth is where the brand happens. And I think too often the marketer forgets to get into the field and sit in the call center or sit in the store and say, this is the true brand. This is what's happening. Are we really delivering on that on that promise? Yeah. I and I, and I think it's a it's an excellent point you bring up. Um, there's there's a company that I'm working with right now because one of the things that has um, always kind of concerned me, especially in these highly distributed businesses, is you know that everybody in the field is getting pretty much the same questions from customers on a regular basis. The same objections are being offered. But to be able to be comfortable (laughs) with the answers that are being provided and that those are in line with the best practice messaging for the organization is nearly impossible because you can't witness all of those interactions. And, you know, I'm working with a company, Practice is the name of them right now, which has a mobile based app, which allows the frontline associates to be able to access that best practice messaging rehearse it with video and audio AI and essentially get assessed on that. And then the manager can use this, which is I think where the engagement comes in as well. And it creates almost like a TikTok feed of here are the people who are doing this really, really well. How great is that? And you can start to distribute that, which I think really helps on the engagement side. Yeah. And what um what's super interesting is you can also send a challenge out because I remember even having some of these conversations with you, right? Is, well, when a customer sees this, right? And they ask this question, how's the sales team going to respond? And you hope you know, but you don't really know, but you can send that sort of challenge out and get a bunch of real-time feedback and know where and how you need to address. So I think what the different technologies that are coming out right now can really help advance that and align messaging. That's, um, for that's and it's clearly scalable because the larger you get, the harder it is to control. And when you have, you know, a thousand frontline agents or f- even a hundred frontline agents, you can have 10,000 answers, a million yeah. answers, you know, to the customer. Elliot, did you want to add a question in here? I have a couple more for Jess, but yeah, a question that came to mind, Jess, you've, you've, you've given so many great nuggets. And that last example reminded me of something you said earlier in the conversation that you come from kind of a startup background where probably there's one person doing the role of chief marketing officer, chief revenue officer, chief communications officer, then also been at multi-channel organizations where those are different people and sometimes a little siloed. So, you know, what's your take on, you know, some speak out there now on the modern chief marketing officer is also the CRO and is also the CCO. This is a great example of having, you know, two different people do that role. So, you know, when we talk about connecting brand and demand and making sure that we are bringing the right messaging to people on the front lines and stuff, what's your opinion on, you know, how people could avoid any pitfalls if it is siloed, how they should kind of work together to make sure it's a unified message so that you are connecting your brand marketing and your demand gen marketing messaging, you know, into one. It, it absolutely comes back to that, the alignment um, and the metrics that are being measured, right? 
all too often, and I've walked into uh, several organizations where this is the case, where you have you know, marketing team that is really being measured on the leads that they generate. You have the KPI for the sales organization that's around revenue per sale, right? But nobody's looking holistically at, you know, what what's the revenue that we are realizing, like getting paid for all the way through installation or service, and what are we spending upfront, right? So I think understanding and being able to have the clarity of those metrics and ensure that there's alignment is really, really important. Good. Thank, thank you. Jess, I got two closing questions. Um, and one is, you know, you've worked with a lot of partners. You've worked with Kern. You've worked with many others. And we have an expression that, you know, clients get the most from their partners based upon how they treat that relationship. What wisdom do you share to help anybody working with an external partner get the most value from that partner? How should they approach those relationships? Sure. I, I, it has to be collaborative, right? I mean, if we win, you win. <laughs> and it has to be both ways, right? When you win, we win. That's the way that it has to work. And I think there has to be a lot of transparency um, to understand what's happening on the agency side, what's happening internally, and what the expectations are. And I think in that um, collaboration, the feedback approach is and how that is handled is really, really important. Because on any given day, the agency is going to have opportunities to get better. On any given day, the organization is going to have opportunities to get better. And how do you work together in order to make that happen? I think that's really, really key. And then you got to be passionate about what you're doing, right? If, if you have an agency partner who's not excited about your business, then that's probably not the agency partner. <laughs> Similarly, if you have people in the organization who aren't excited about what they're doing, then they probably need to find something different as well. So yeah, I think that's um, that that's really key. And then continuing to figure out how, as the business evolves, you work together. You know, I remember um, as part of our regular meetings, we would do start, stop, and continue, and have just open dialogue. What's working? What's not working? And you know, what do, what should we do differently? Yeah, we did it religiously, quarterly. You know, yeah. it's a fundamental of good business leadership. It's a fundamental of good agency partnership. It's a fundamental of good organizational design. It's just a great fundamental. And and I think too often, I even see it in ourselves, is that with COVID, it's easy to lose sight of the fundamental because you're in crisis management. And you forget, you know, I, I'm trying to get our matter of fact, we're going back. let's get back to these monthly, quarterly alignments. We're past some of the crisis. We, yeah. forgot the, we forgot what makes us, not that we're not succeeding, but it's easy to lose sight of the tools that help you win every day. As a team, I'm gonna. I'm yeah, gonna... and I mean, you have you have to have that partnership approach, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're hiring a vendor, that's a much different scenario yeah. than hiring a partner. Yeah, and I do think it's that the openness of listening to multiple opinions and for everyone to feel safe to challenge the ideas and not feel at risk, so that um, you can have an open communication. And in the end, ultimately, we're all trying to invest the right on behalf of the customer and therefore the brand and therefore the relationship, but it has to feel safe. And I do, I know we have always had a safe conversation uh, and went at it. So it's been wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm going to give you a closing question. And then Elliot, I know you might have a wrap up here also, which is 
when you look at your fantastic career that I've luckily been privileged to watch over this time, if you had to think through lessons and guidance that you would share with up and comers, those who were 10 years and, and younger, what would you say would be important guidance for their future to succeed as you have succeeded? Yeah, two things. Um, I would say, first of all, you cannot forget that people are the heart of every business. And it is so important to make sure that you understand what people are thinking, whether that's within your own internal organization or your customers is a, a key component of that. And then the other thing, um, Russell, I would say is, especially in marketing roles, but really in any role in the organization, you have to make sure that you have the opportunity and find the opportunity to put yourself in the shoes of other people in the organization. And you understand what that customer journey is going to be like, what that experience is going to be like, and how you enable not only that customer experience, but also the experience for the people who are going to be interacting with that customer. And I think the more knowledge you can get about that, um, the more effective you can be in anticipating what's next, but also in, in really helping to lead an organization through the challenges that they're going to face because everyone will. And the more well-rounded you can be in your experience, I think the more effective you can be in helping to lead an organization through something. Uh, that's it's such great insight. Thank you. Elliot, it's always a pleasure. Do you have a wrap-up question you want to ask? Um, yeah, that was a great question, Russell. The flip side of that, speaking of, maybe speaking to our senior leaders and some more you know, CROs and CMOs, you, you, you made some great points on aligning on data and some MarTech that could help you know align brand and demand messaging and operations. Maybe just one or two more examples of some pilot programs or baby steps those could take if they are finding themselves a little siloed and kind of working in a vacuum and they do see that brand and demand aren't, aren't quite integrating very well. Yeah, I think it is absolutely about having a very specific conversation on how are we measuring? How do you think I should be measured and how do I think you should be measured? <laughs> and what ultimately is that going to yield? And it may be a bit of an uncomfortable conversation, especially if people have been doing and measuring a certain thing for a long period of time. Um and it turns out that it may not necessarily be what's adding value to the company. But I think approaching it from that perspective and how and where are the intersection points where together we add value to the company and then kind of breaking that back down would be probably the best approach that I've seen. It's fantastic. So Jess, on behalf of Elliot and myself, we want to personally thank you for a tremendous uh, interview and your time together and the wisdom that you shared and really my personal honor to be able to be with you on this journey. And I also want to thank everyone for listening today. So I ask you to please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any other future episodes. We have great guests who will be joining us. And I would just want to say until next time, I'm Russell Kern. The Continuous Revenue Marketer has been brought to you by Kern, an Omnicom precision marketing agency that helps Fortune 500 companies increase revenue from customer acquisition to loyalty through personalization at speed and scale. 
For more information, please visit kernagency.com.